this is the moment you've all been waiting for. Live with the best father and son team on the internet. It's time for Homie and the Dude. What is up, everyone? We are Homie and the Dude, the best father and son podcast on the internet. And we are joined today by Jack Mason. Now, Jack has a super interesting perspective as an MMA fighter, as an MMA coach, and an MMA manager to other professional fighters. So we're looking forward to chat, chatting with you, Jack, in about uh, in just a moment um, on all parts of, the, of your life that have to do with those things. But before we get into that discussion, we just want to shout out our sponsor for this episode, Bruce Buffer's Championship Introductions. If you want legendary UFC announcer Bruce Buffer to introduce your special occasion, head over to brucebuffer.com and type in the promo code DUDE. That's D-U-D-E to get a 10% discount on your special Bruce Buffer introduction. What's up, Jack? How are you doing today, man? I'm good, thank you. Really glad to hear it. Um, you're just telling us that you're, you're currently uh, in the quarantine for Cage Warriors, which is, you know, a weird situation that we're... Uh, we're all dealing with at the moment with with this COVID kind of stuff. How have you uh, have you found that that's been a big impact to you know your trade as a manager and obviously with your fighters and whatnot? Um, not not really. No, it hasn't not, hasn't had too much of an impact. Um, it it has been more difficult for to get people fights. Obviously, um, there's there's obviously less shows going on, especially in in the UK and Europe. Um. But um, I guess with you know with the guys in the UFC, they, they don't once they get to a certain level, they don't fight that often anyway. You know, maybe two fights a year, and um, yeah, not has it hasn't been had a huge impact this this year. But be, be it's going to be great when things are, are back open and uh, we can get get fighting a lot more often. Yeah, but, no know, kidding, man. No yeah, kidding. Yeah, it's been it's been great to have the relationship with Cage Warriors and um, you know being able to get. You know, to get my guys that are serious about um, fighting, you know, the fights, fights that they need. So, so yeah, it's been been great. So, how how are they doing the Cage Warriors thing? Is it is it a partial audience uh, tomorrow night, or no, is it no, it's no no audience at all? Okay. Um, they've got um, they've got approval with the uh, I can't remember what the name is. The, the DCMS with it that, that government body. They've got an approval with them to to do these live events. So. Um, you have to have like strict rules and stuff, but um, they're doing they're doing that with them. Um, but no, yeah, no fans this time. We were okay. I think we were hoping to have like limited fans, but not not for this one now. Didn't happen. Okay, cool. So um, let me ask. So you you started off your 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 life, you know, as a as a young man. What drew you to combat sports? Because obviously it's quite a niche <laughs> area. To uh, to be interested in what 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 got you to the combat sports avenue? Um, yeah, I don't. I was I was always um, I was always playing playing football and rugby when I was growing up, um, and uh, I, I did I did sort of kickbox from not like nothing serious, especially where I live in in Essex. Like there was nothing really serious where I was, but there was a I used to train kickboxing like once or twice a week, and. Uh, and it wasn't really until till I finished university, I was I was looking I was actually looking for a rugby club to to train train at, and I was uh, searching on Gumtree and found a found an advert for a wrestling club, um, and I always wanted to to wrestle, um, and then I went down there and there were some guys training MMA, uh, some guys I went to school with actually were in the uh, the GB uh, GB team for judo, but they were also competing in MMA and um, ended up training with them and. And that was it, really. Uh, there was at that time there was no there's no real MMA gyms. It was more sort of training with your your friends or, or groups of like one people. Sort of so the sports definitely come on a lot since then. Yeah, it's a well. You know, we were looking at, um, at you know sort of a retrospective of your career, and you, I guess, you fought about forty-seven times. So you you, you get a, an idea that some people dabble in MMA until they get into like real MMA competition, into the octagon and and uh, or the Cage Warriors, um, cage, 
And then they start to reconsider, like, is this for me or not? And you really embraced it. Like 47 fights is, uh, is on the upper echelon of a career. Like that is you, <laughs> you at some point um, enjoyed getting into that ring and, um, and fighting guys. When you look back now, it's been, what is it, about, about five or six years now since you've stepped in to, uh, to a competitive fight in terms of an official, you know, a cage warriors type uh, event. Do you miss the competition? Um, I think, yeah, I think it's 2018 now, but I, um, yeah, I, no, I, I don't miss it, miss it that much. I do get the, I definitely did for a, for a little while. I had, um, I had a, like a big urge to get back in there after, after my last fight. Um, but where I've, uh, I picked up so many injuries nowadays, like even just getting up and getting down the stairs in the morning is difficult. So, it's kind of kind of hit home that I'm just not my body's not capable of doing it anymore. So um, I'd rather you know I'd rather spend spend my time helping the the young guys uh, you know make the bet make the best of the career and make the you know make better decisions than I made during my career to you know to get to the top. Mm. You know that's that's a really good point. And you know a lot of fighters something that me and Tom were talking about is you know. Uh, there's no clear pathway. It's not like there's like a, a set number of steps that you need to take to like, you know, get to the UFC or get to cage warriors or things like that. Uh, it, it's different for a lot of people dependent on their situation. And I think, you know, to have someone like you to guide people is, is something that a lot of fighters probably really value. Um, and, you know, you, you mentioned that you transitioned, you know, due to like the injuries that you're getting and stuff like that, which, you know, totally makes sense when you're doing a full contact sport where you are just getting railed all the time. It, it, it really does become something where you have got to look at your, your own physical uh, abilities and, and, and the amount of time that you, you have left and, uh, and kind of make some decisions. But now you've got an incredible gym uh, you, that has six incredible coaches. You've got 126 members um, uh, fighting out of your gym and you've got 17 pro fighters. Um, how, how do you step from going cool I think I want to stop fighting to then going, you know what, I'm going to open a gym and I'm going to start looking for coaching staff. And like, what, what was your process of kind of doing that? How did that well, decision go down? We sort of, um, we opened the, uh, we opened BKK in, I think it's the, the doors, the doors opened first of, uh, first of Jan, 2011. So mm -hmm. we, so we've been going for 10 years now. So um, I was, I was coaching, you know, well before I, you know, I sort of, decided to, to give up uh well to retire from competition but um and we've had you know we as you say we've uh we've managed to build some some incredible talent um you know we've got guys in the, the top 10 in the world now you know so um we're you know we, we've been really fortunate to do it and and we've got a great team around us you know we're a great team of coaches and stuff so so yeah it's just been it's definitely a passion of mine and um, yeah, we're just looking to see how far we, how far we can take it. Yeah, that's awesome. Amazing, man. Um, one of the things that I was thinking about, like, and again, we'll transition more into the coaching stuff, but I'm still interested a little bit about um, your perspective on the career that you had as a fighter. And I'll take it back to, I used to be a professional basketball coach. And, you know, my family, Bodie and my wife would, would say, man, you just don't enjoy it. Like, even if you win, you don't enjoy it. Like, you're just always looking on to the next thing, right? Yeah. And it really hit home with me when I had a conversation with one of my players a couple of years ago. We were talking about a season and he said, whoa, whoa, Tom, you're talking about the last game that we lost, but we went 26 and two that year. Like it was a success. Yeah. And so like, when I look back on my coaching career, I tend to dwell on the the what ifs, that one thing that would have got mm. me over the top. What about you? Like some people look at the the highlight, like the awesome moment, and some people look at the you know those those other moments that if they would have gone a different way, it would have changed things. What what do you tend to look at when you look back on your career? Thanks for watching this episode. We really appreciate you supporting Homie and the Dude. Please hit us with the Holy Trinity, like our Facebook page, subscribe to the YouTube channel, and follow us on Instagram. Just search at Homie and the Dude. It all really helps. Um, I don't know. I have a different perspective than a lot of guys um, in terms of their their career. I think because, I, like, I, I never um, when I when I first started competing, I already had a job in in finance, and I was 
looking to make a, a career in that. And uh, you know, I've, I've been lucky. You know, I've been lucky enough to succeed in in that. And I've got a you know a job that takes up a lot of my my time now, um, and has done ever ever since. You know, I've been a, you know since I came out of university. Um, and I've ha- I've always had you know I've always been focused on that. So MMA was always like a a distraction and a hobby for me. It was never a it's never a serious career. Um, and uh, you know, I'm, I definitely made some made some some decisions that I wouldn't allow my guys to make, you know, like things like taking silly fights, short notice and stuff like that. But but I, I look back on my career with um with like great fondness and and I, I can laugh at some of the mistakes I made. Um and it's got it's allowed me to travel the world and, and meet tons of people I would never have never have met if I hadn't been involved in it. You know, so it's been it's it's been a huge addition to my life and, and it's been, been amazing. But in terms of my career, um, whilst I, I did take it seriously, there's, there's no doubt about it. I, I wasn't, it wasn't my, my, my be all and end all. And I, and I feel like to be really successful in the sport, it has to be, you know, it has, you have to dedicate everything to it. Yeah. Do you know what? I, I think, I think you're totally right because you know, at the end of the day, there's there's some people that have, you know, other stuff going on. And, you know, for example, you know, Tom and I uh, doing this podcast and whatnot, we have other stuff going on in our lives. And uh, until we can commit fully to it, you know, it, it really does end up being something that is a slog that is something that, you know, trying to, uh, you know, move it forward and whatnot. But yeah, I, I fully agree with you. It's, it's a really hard headspace to get into of like, you know, this is something I'm enjoying and I want to keep doing it. But also, like, I have so much other stuff to do. And it's something that I'm actually dealing with at the moment. I, I've been skateboarding since I was eight years old. And I'm, I'm now 23. I literally haven't stopped skateboarding since I was eight. And in the last year, I, I've not been able to pick up the board due to some illnesses and stuff like that and time frames. And it's starting to make me go, you know, like, is it, it, it's, it will never be a career for me. It's, it's never going to be a career. But it's still something that I love. And it's something that I put time into. So... I fully get that headspace uh, that you're in. It, it really actually makes sense to me. Um, I think on the on the flip flip side as well, you know, where where we, you know, a lot of um, the the athletes I work with, they they do have, they have given it their their all and um, sacrificed a lot to get where they are, sort of thing. But it's um, it's also uh, quite uh, quite stressful, and you, you can sometimes leads to you not enjoying the sport of MMA because you're, you're relying on it for uh, for an income and for for your life, you know. So it, it's, uh, yeah, it's difficult. difficult. Yeah. Life's it's a, difficult. So. For sure. It's a back and forth thing, you know. It's, it's, it's that whole, <laughs> it's that whole, I got to make money somehow. And, uh, and if, if it means getting punched in the face and I enjoy getting punched in the face, then amazing. But, you know, there's still all the training camps that come with that. There's the travel, there's the, you know, having, finding your tr- gyms, finding your coaches, you know, all the stuff that, you know, a lot of the stuff that you're doing for these fighters, you know, organizing uh, a lot of their lives and, and, and keeping on top of some of that for them so that they can be focused on the training, the, the headspace management, the, uh, you know, the, the getting ready for the competition. And something that I really love that uh, Corey McKenna and, and Arnold Allen both said to us is that, you know, you constantly message them with like motivational stuff, like uh, keep them in a good headspace, you know, and are, are constantly being supportive, which, you know, from a manager, you know, in, in my head, when I look at, you know, business managers, it seems like there would be a disconnect there, but it's awesome that you are interacting and thinking about your fighters in a way that, Maybe maybe most management teams aren't, you know, at this point in time. Uh, would you, would you, how do you feel about that? Well, the thing is, like, um, I'm not financially motivated by the mm. by the management side. As I say, I've got I've got a day job, and um, I, I'm not doing the management for for money, sort of thing. So, um, and this is this is why it's a, it's a sort of a passion project for me because I can like. I'm not just going to uh, take on any any fighters on onto my books. It's got to be ones that I care about and I want to see them do well and um and 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 I believe in as well. So so we have a really small roster in terms of management um, and it's for that reason really. Yeah, yeah. it's 
I, I really love your your comment about you know sort of perspective and um, and not necessarily needing to have this as you know the end all. And I know with Arnold and Corey, they both you know their career paths could have very much been compromised by a manager that wanted to hang on to them, right? That wanted to control them, that wanted to like make sure that no one else got them, you know, that yeah. type of thing. And dude, what you did is, I mean, from our perspective, you said, look, what you guys need is the next step. And the next step might be away from the UK. And I support that. And we're going to figure out a way to do that. Whether I work with other people, whether you work with other people, we're going to keep our relationship and you're going to continue to grow and see how far you can get. And I just have to say, man, that's, that's rare, I think, in your field because of everyone being so protective of their own, you know, someone that they, you know, you spent 10 plus years with Arnold, right? Yeah, of course. It's a huge investment, but the way that you've allowed, you know, you've released them is, is pretty damn honorable, man. And I I really, you know, tip my hat to you for, for giving them what you feel like they need for the next step. In terms of, yeah. And and this is, this is it. Like, uh, I feel, I feel like that, that approach has worked, you know, you can, the proof's in the pudding, isn't it? And you can see how, how well they've, um, you know, how good they're becoming. And, uh, like, a, as, a, as I say, I feel like they'll both be world champs. And there's, there's, many more, there's many more to come as well, you know, from the, the guys we work with. So, so yeah, I feel like it's a, it's a good recipe for, for success sort of thing. Yeah. Amazing. Can we circle back to you said, you know, you're, you, have, you can be a little bit more selective with who you're going to represent in management yeah. because, you know, you've got – this isn't your – you know, your revenue stream, your primary revenue stream, it's more of a passion project for you. Yes. So in your selection process, what are, what are some of the criteria that you will start thinking about if someone approaches you? Because I'm sure you're getting approached by people to represent you. What, what are you thinking about? Um, I, I just want to believe in the, in the, in the, uh, the fighter really, you know, like um, it is really, it's really difficult, but there's, there's, um, it's it's tough if you if you if you um if you represent someone you want to you want to uh, believe that they're gonna um first like first of all trust you but also um that that they believe in themselves you know it's very difficult to especially in times like this you know to to fight someone's corner um with the UFC or with Cage Warriors or whoever um and you know to get them a fight because you know the 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 slots are are uh, few and far between at the moment, and then and then they turn around and say they're, you know, they're injured or they, you know, they've got stuff going on at home and they can't, you know, or they haven't been able to train hard enough because of what's going on, things like that. You know, you really need that. You need that special fight that that is dedicated to their craft, that isn't gonna, um, you know, but when these hurdles come up, they're gonna find a way find a way around it. Um, those types, of, you know, that's they're the people I want to want to work with. Um, there's there's too many people in the game that um, say they want they want to be fighters, but deep down they really don't. Yeah, and yeah. you know it's 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 you're totally right. It's a brutal sport. At the end of the day, like a, a lot of people get into it, I assume with you know certain expectations, and then you know it's it's funny you see it on YouTube all the time. You know these these amateur guys coming in. And, uh, you know, first, second fight, you know, third or fourth fight, they've been winning and then they step up the competition and it, it, it changes and they they instantly are a bit like, oh, a bit hesitant about it. And I think you're right. It's something that and I don't know. I'll, I'll ask your opinion on this, Jack, because you've probably been around it a bit more than me. I would say it seems like a, a person has to have almost have been in MMA from a much younger age or within martial arts from a much younger age to really have that full commitment um, to the sport. It seems like if you're coming in in your like 20s or 30s, uh, especially as you're just behind in terms of the amount of uh, experience you have, but also it just feels like it's harder for those people uh, to really find the headspace that you need to get in the cage as well. Do, do, do you agree with that? Uh, I would definitely say that um, it has a huge benefit if you've been, been doing the sport since you were, you were young. There's so much to learn, um, and you would have been around. Uh, you would have been around the sport for so long, and you know what it entails. You know, like mm. um, you just take for instance Arnold and 
Arnold and Corey, they, they, they were in the gym since they were 13. And they've seen, you've seen, seen that, you know, the older guys in the gym, like the coaches as well, like having these, uh, having these fights and then having the experiences where they've, where they've either lost um, and had to come, you know, come back from that. Stuff like that, you know, they've seen they've seen it and been there, and they know what the sport entails. So that, yeah, if they know what if they know what they're letting themselves in for, then then they're definitely and they still want to be involved. Then they're definitely the right type of, yeah, they're they're, they're definitely real fighters, and they they they're going to do much better. I th- I would think. Mm. Yeah, I have a question with you about that. Um, yeah. So you're you're in the finance world. I am sort of in the business world as well as a leadership yeah. development consultant. And I'm I'm older than you, probably a lot older than you. But I certainly hear <laughs> probably not much. <laughs> I certainly hear, dude. In um, you know, in talking, people talk about the older generation and uh, and how they have a different mindset, right? And the younger generation are just being a little bit softer. And they use words like snowflakes and all this other stuff. And I mean, from my perspective, I interact with both. And um, yeah. and I remember people in my generation that were absolute, you know, deadbeats, right? I went to college with people that couldn't get off the couch. I've, I've got peers that have underperformed and underachieved. And I see it in the younger generation as well of people, you know, you see the whole spectrum in both. So I'm, I'm a little bit hesitant to categorize, you know, old school or like when we did it, you yeah. know, we, we used to hike up uphill in the snow both ways, you know, and you guys have it soft, that type of thing. What's your perspective on fighters these days? Because you've seen that younger generation and you also lived with the older generation. Any any differences that you see? Um, there's a little bit, you know, um, where, where I run, I run the Cage Warriors Academy. Um, it just makes me laugh all the time because when, uh, when I when I first had my first fights, we used to used to turn up to the venue and um you didn't know who you who you were gonna fight that day but you you had a weight category in mind you know yeah. so you'd be like around the middleweight middleweight mark sort of thing I was and um someone you know other people would turn up and they'd have a, another guy similar weight and then later on in the afternoon your um after you'd weighed in your opponent's name would come up on the board and um, and that's who you'd be fighting later on that evening, and um, and then you'd, you'd have to fight. Um, but nowadays, like if I'm where I'm matching the the academy show, you've got these first time amateurs fighting a, a first time amateur, and and that guy's saying, "Well, I need to see tape on him. I need to see okay. blah blah blah. Um, I need, yeah. you know, see, need to see footage on him. Otherwise, I'm not taking the fight." I'm like, <laughs> you know, what are you talking about? Yeah. Um, this is just an amateur fight, you know. You're trying to learn your craft here. Um, so yeah, I, there is a. I feel like there is a bit of a, a difference in that. that I, I feel like, you know, just because I, I guess because I've been through it in the dark ages with with MMA, I feel like um, the guys nowadays they just they don't know how good they've got it. They've re- they really yeah. are looked after everywhere, and um, and that's definitely a good thing. Um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a much they're definitely looked after a lot more nowadays and they uh, and get so many more opportunities from from the uh, the promotions out there now um, yeah. which obviously is a good thing because I want to see the sport sport evolve and I think in general you know I, I don't know people are being becoming a little bit soft and a bit um, uh, sensitive over things yeah. um, especially like maybe it's the maybe it's the, the lockdown and stuff that everyone's just got something to be uh, to be uh, um, concerned about, or uh, um, what's what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, it's like everyone's be, sensitive, you know. Yeah, a cause to be fighting for. So sensitive, but you know, I don't know. There are, you know, I've got a lot of guys coming through in in, in the gym, and and uh, they're of that snowflake generation, but they're tough. They're tough as nails, mate, and. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's some there's some incredible talent coming through because these guys are tough, but they've also been doing the sport now since since they were 13, and um, yeah. they they know everything. And uh, these young amateurs now, they would, you know, as I'm talking about the back in back in the day, the old, the old school fights, 
these guys are way more skilled and uh, they would have they would have made so, so yeah the level is really increased yeah I can imagine you know it's it's, it's something where do you know what's interesting a, a bunch of stuff you said there really, really interests me so um, you know I, I was in I was actually I did karate from a very young age I was uh, in Spain when I was very young and it was very much you know the, the the very basic like mats in like a gymnasium and like very little gear like you said you show up on the day for a certain weight class and you fight in that weight class it, whoever gets put in front of you and you just blow through the tournament until you lose and then you go home kind of thing yeah. and it, it was super super rudimentary I remember as a kid and you're you're, you're right like now um, it's it's hilarious that these these people are asking you to see tape and stuff. I think that's it's both a, it's both a good and a bad thing. It seems like it seems like the kids are in the right frame of mind to be you know someone who later in their career will be in a space you know they should be looking at tape. They should be thinking about what their opponent is yeah, going to be of doing. Of course, yeah. But, but at the end of the day, you're totally right. Like the, the 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 fact that they have the opportunity to look at tape when back in the day there wasn't tape full stop like there, there wasn't yeah, even yeah. video you know like is is is, is ridiculous um a point on your, your your sensitivity thing which i think is really really interesting and a, and a topic that uh, is interesting especially with the whole lockdown and stuff i think because everyone's had so much time to think about things i think everyone's been sat around thinking so much that it's brought out a lot of the issues that people maybe in day-to-day -day life with hecticness you're not looking at and you're like doing you're like just moving through life and i think and even for the people who are like um like the fighters and whatnot and and, and people who are making excuses like you said or, or 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 in that kind of generation i think it's it's a lot of this thinking time that we're all having during this lockdown and i, I reckon it's playing on all of us a little bit and i think everyone's getting a little bit hypersensitive in their in their own ways which is kind of weird uh, I, I know that I've been I've been feeling a bit like stressed since I've been trapped indoors. I don't like I feel like a caged animal. Like it's not great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I also. Um, yeah, go go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, dude. I just I'm picturing <laughs> the old school events. It it almost like you show up to an event. There's a bunch of guys standing around looking across from each other. You're like, I might be fighting him. I might be fighting him. Uh, uh, if I'm fighting him, he's a lot bigger than me. I turned so one fight I turned up to the uh to the the circus tavern, which is um it's near the the Dartford tunnel in, in Perthley. Mm. And uh turned up for an event, didn't know who was who I was fighting that day. It was uh I was gonna see my name on the board next to someone a bit later on. And um there was this uh there was a guy uh, walking around with his shirt off, like an Eastern European guy. And uh, like ripped veins everywhere, and I was like, uh, there was I was with one of my teammates, and he was a light heavyweight, and uh, I was like, oh, that might be your guy, and I was just just winding him up, and uh, <laughs> this this guy ended up being our guy. I was uh, I was fighting, and uh, <laughs> and his his name was Marius Saromskis, and he ended up winning the the Dream Grand Prix. Mm. Um, he uh, yeah, like he went on to be pretty successful. I think he fought he fought in Strike Force and um, and uh, Bellator as well. But um, but yeah, he's a he was a beast. And then I heard him uh, heard him kicking pads. Like he was a, he's a like I I had no I think I, it was my second fight or something. I had no experience, and and this guy was kicking pads because the change rooms weren't separated by walls or anything. It was just separate, separated by a cur curtain. And I could hear him slamming kicks into this pad. Just for, and I was, uh, I was pretty worried going out into that fight, to be fair. <laughs> um, but yeah, exactly. He's exactly how you, you imagined. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's, that's kind of, that's kind of crazy. You know, it's, uh, it, it's, it's wild that you're, you're, you're sat with an inch of cloth between the person you're going to be fighting in a couple of minutes and you can just hear, hear the destruction that's coming your way i, I can imagine that's a that's not it's it's funny me and Colin talk about you know it's the classic video that goes around the internet of uh of joe rogan uh doing his like spinning back kick and everyone just being like oh my god like jesus exactly. christ if you ever see the, if you ever see this guy kick, just you can google him he's a he's a monster with his kicks absolute monster <laughs> 
it's absolutely terrifying and especially you know the way leg kicks are going these days you know with the with the low calf kick and and, and the development of that like kickers are like especially like the muay thai like kicks and uh, and and the taekwondo kicks are getting going to be quite lethal these days uh, i wanted to ask because you know we talked about different like skill levels you know you got this guy whapping pads and then you know all these different skill levels at these little competitions now people say that there's like levels to this would you say that there is a large jump in skill between like the smaller promotions and the ufc um, or would you say that the fighters that are currently in Cage Warriors, that are currently in Bellator, are well within the skill level to be reaching the upper echelon of the UFC? Where, where do you kind of stand on that? No, um, I'd say that the, um, the, the, the lower sort of levels of, of Cage Warriors, uh, sorry, of, of um, the UFC, the, the, the guys fighting the Cage Warriors are at that level sort of thing. Um, but then there is a big jump between, you know, between the the lower levels uh, on in the UFC, from you know from Cage Warriors to the upper e echelons of the UFC. There is a big, there is a big gap, you know. That yeah. I think there are some really special special fighters that are at the very top. You know, talking. It really depends on weight, what weight division we're talking about. Mm -hmm. But um, if you take for instance the like the the talent packed sort of Bantam weights, featherweights, lightweights, and and welterweights. The yeah. the jumping competition between the upper upper echelon and the the lower rungs is is huge. Yeah, yeah, you're totally right. Yeah, I I do you know what? I I fully agree with you. You know, you look at yeah, it's, it's to, we like to to bring up one that's probably close to heart. You know, the the featherweight division. You know, where Arnold's kind of sat in at the moment. He has like a murderer's row of dudes ahead of him, you know, we're, we're, we're saying to him, you know, you got a, you got a list of guys that are, you know, well known within the community, like badass fighters who have fought everyone. And, uh, and you know, it, it's not an easy run to kind of move up into that top 10, especially in those, you know, those divisions that you just named the ones that are most stacked, like the lightweight, the world weight, you know, the featherweight, they're really, really like the, the top five is like, Jesus Christ, each person is, a massive triumph in of itself. Like you might not be winning a championship, but to beat any of the top five in either of those weight classes is a huge achievement, yeah. a massive achievement. I think, um, I think in Arnold's case, like uh, the he he's had a similar stylistic fight since he's he's had seven wins now, but he's fought like a similar stylistic guy in terms of they wanted to wrestle with him um, yeah. a lot. And he, he hasn't been able to show how good he is um, in the stand-up because he's always been, not hesitant, but just been um, proactive with defending the takedowns. So he's been mindful not to, to let his hands hands and feet go too much because he, he wants to be able to defend the takedowns um, well sort of thing. But I think in the top 10, in, in the featherweight division, the majority of them are strikers now. So mm -hmm. um, I know they obviously at that level they can do it all, but... They're, they're, the majority of them are striking based. I think that I think Arnold matches up really well with all of them. He's got the best stand up in that division. So um, so it'd be interesting to see how he does with with those guys. Yeah, it'd be yeah. amazing to see. I'm just just thinking from your perspective again. When when I go back looking at basketball back in the day and and now new new players and everything, and I almost look at how the sport has evolved and I can barely even connect with what some of the players are doing right now yeah. on the court. They're bigger, they're faster, they're stronger, all those things. When you look at this level of competition at the very top of the UFC, which of those guys do you look at and you just shake your head and say, I really don't even know what the hell, like how the hell is this person so good at all those things? I think, um, yeah, I I think a lot of these these younger guys that come through now have been training for a, a long time. They're just the the thing that's so so amazing is just how good they are ev everywhere. Um, before before I came on this podcast, it's just an example, right? So before I came on the podcast, that they, they I just noticed the UFC put up um, the Kevin Holland uh, mm -hmm. Jacare fight. Yeah, and um, obviously Jacare is obviously he's a bit of a, more of an old school guy. But he's also like a like world champion grappler, and um, you see him in that fight. He took to Kevin Holland down. 
Kevin Holland, I, you know, he, he's got no grappling credentials at all. Puts him in a triangle straight away, and he and repeatedly puts him in a triangle for the next. Uh, and you're like, this is how good these young kids are. Like you've got world champion grapplers who, who you who you would think these guys wouldn't be able to live with uh, on the ground, but they're putting them in triangles and stuff like that. And and that's the that's the astounding thing. All these young kids coming through, they're just incredible everywhere. You know, they can wrestle. They've got phenomenal ground and really good striking. It's uh, yeah, just the level just going up and up. It's true. Like that that Jacare example is a really good one because you go all the way back to the beginning of the UFC, and you had Hoist Gracie with one skill set that was, you know, exceptional and could dominate with that one skill set. But you have Jacare, who is every bit as much of a BJJ, you know, expert um, from Brazil. And he goes against Kevin Holland, who definitely does not have Jacare's pedigree on the ground. But Kevin Holland, <laughs> you know, shows him something that you don't prepare for in BJJ, where he, he literally knocks him out from his back. And, yeah, yeah. Um, and so how, like, you know, as, as, a, as an expert, you eventually start to have to really deal with the fact that unless you start considering all these other disciplines, you're going to be in trouble. Someone's going to have your, if you only have one, like, key, then they're going to have yeah. the answer to that eventually. You need to have a whole ring of keys that you can go in and, like, f- figure out different ways to take people apart. Yeah, and that's it. That's, that's, what's, so, uh, that's so, what's so incredible about all of all of the new guys coming through is that they can do the whole, they can do everything. Um, do you know what? And not just to a, good, not just to a good level, but a, a world, a world-class level in, ev- in everything. Yeah. 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 You're fully right. And do you know what? I, do you know, what? I was just thinking, listening to you, Tom, there, I was like, yeah, you know, most of the, most of the upper echelon dudes, you know, you, you got, don't get me wrong. Izzy isn't much of a grappler, but you know he's just got his purple belt in jujitsu. You know his takedown defense up until the Jean Blahovich fight wasn't bad. Uh, you know you got Usman who is very good everywhere. You've got you know what I was just thinking though is obviously we look at Khabib and we look at you know one of the greatest fighters of all time and we look at you know his, his credentials. We look at you know what he's done, but a lot of that was in one discipline in just hard style like link wrestling. Now don't get me wrong. It's got a mixture of jujitsu, of judo, of, you know, uh, sambo, of, uh, you know, all, all the different styles that he's mashing together. But realistically, we're looking at like uh, like connective wrestling is what he's really, really doing. And, you know, it, it's crazy that, you know, you talk about how, how all these new guys are dangerous. It, it shows as well, though, that if you have done it for so long, like no matter what, like it's interesting that Habib, is still the dominant force, irregardless of, you know, don't get me wrong, he drops Conor McGregor, which validates a lot of his stand-up and things like that. And, you know, it didn't look super bad against Gaethje either. You know, his jab was looking clean against Gaethje and whatnot. But at the end of the day, he's just dominated with wrestling. So it's it's a weird paradox that, that we're seeing at the moment of some of this old school still existing. And, you know, we're losing old school fighters like Alistair Overeem and, you know, Junior Dos Santos and all these people left, right and center um and these new guys are coming up and really causing some chaos so yeah i think it's it's a really beautiful thing that we're seeing but it's also uh for for anyone who's been watching the sport or been a part of the sport for a long time it's quite scary to see these new developments in 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 people's games um and you know it's really cool to watch as well from an outside perspective i would say i don't know about you guys (laughs) yeah yeah nice i mean you can just see like I, i can't remember the last time the UFC put on a, a bad card, it's just been every, you know, even if you think the lineup doesn't look great, it's just the, the fights have just been just been unreal this this past like year. Um, obviously, <laughs> apart from the the Cyril the Gan fight or Cyril Gan fight, um, that was pretty terrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I boats. I think your your example is really interesting in that. You know, it is a counter argument to one discipline isn't enough when you have Khabib, but you could also say with Izzy, you know, he, you know, he comes from the New Zealand, you know, that, that New Zealand cartel over there that they're, you know, with Volkanovsky and these guys that have just almost taken stand up to a different level as far as feints and angles and distance management and all that other stuff. Um, and they've been able to dominate in that space. So I think your, your argument is actually pretty good to just, 
you know, reconsider if someone is su super superior in that space, then you're going to have to figure out a way to fight them in a different way. If you can get them to fight differently, like Blahovich did with Izzy, then, okay, let's, let's, you know, let's talk about it. But if you can't, like Paolo Costa, like Robert Whitaker, um, uh, to some degree, like Yoel was fighting against Izzy, if you can't get out of that, then you're in trouble, right? He, he is the boss in that space. I think, um, I think he's just shown where he's vulnerable, though. I think, I think things will change a little bit. I think guys will, um, it's, you know, when he goes back to middleweight, I think guys are going to fight, fight against him differently because they know that he, he is weak on the ground. He's not, he's not dangerous at all, really, on the ground. If he gets yeah. to that half guard position, um, so I think, I think things will change now. Those, now that they've seen how, how poor he is there. Um, yeah, that's my opinion anyway. But I think, you know, just you can just look back at, you know, some of the talk about John Jones versus Israel. And uh, I mean that would be that would be an absolute murder. Um, mm. Yeah, I don't think he would. Yeah, I don't think that would be even be competitive. To be honest, people start getting crazy. Remember Jack? How like when Ronda Rousey was, you know, having her yeah. run, people were like, "Well, she could, she could put her up against Floyd Mayweather. She'll fight against she'll put her up against some guys." And they're doing it with they're doing it with Amanda yeah. Nunes as well right now as well. They're saying, "Well, line up Nunez against Henry Cejudo. Like it's not, it's not a fair conversation to like, you gotta, I guess you just got to keep your head about like what, you know, what's happening in one perfect that's, night. That's just, that's the art of a good promoter, isn't it? You know, Dana White is probably the best in the world, isn't he? That's true. And he just um, gets people talking about stuff, which he doesn't, he doesn't believe that, believe <laughs> that does he? But um, he just, uh, he's just a brilliant promoter. Definitely. I Hey, dude, I want, to, I want to circle back to something. So, okay, take you back to this old school situation, right? Because I'm a little bit intrigued by it. Um, so you step into the, into, the, um, into the venue, whatever the venue is. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you're looking at different guys. But now, like, just give me a headspace of certainly when you're younger, you can get wrapped up in what someone looks like or how they're kicking a bag right or how they're you know how they're moving around or how quick they look in warm-ups that type of thing and you can let yourself get a little bit messed up by that as you get older and more experienced i think my assumption is you want to see what they do in the in the cage right and it doesn't matter what they do backstage doesn't matter what they do on their youtube or their instagram let's see what they do in the cage does that like when does that start really drift in a way that almost that intimidation from a you know almost like a visual physical thing i think um when you uh i think when you've been around mar mixed martial arts for for so long you you sort of realize that it really doesn't matter what people look like you know there's some some absolute killers um out there that that don't look intimidating at all and i think i think being involved in uh in like mixed martial arts really any legitimate combat sport you sort of um you just become a lot more humble about firstly about your abilities but also about the abilities of of other people you know um you just yeah you know, obviously you take i think they you see a lot of memes about it but you can can imagine looking at uh, ryan hall or something on the street or in, if you're in if you're in a nightclub you're maybe you're a big guy you've been pumping a lot of weights and you get into a, something with Ryan Hall in a club and you think you might be able to take him, but then you get your, your leg snapped off or whatever it is. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I think it, the, the sport humbles you, Yeah, you know, you, you, you can have fights and you get knocked out and you, you definitely changes people. Uh, but also just being involved in, you know, being in the gym, being involved in the sport and seeing what, seeing what, other humans can do to you it's uh it's definitely a humbling uh humbling yeah. process for you sure i i fully fully like not only agree with that but almost feel like it should be mandatory that each person yeah. should at least take part in a like jujitsu class like <laughs> once in their life or like you know go to like a martial arts gym at least once because you know for me like i, I remember the first time me and tom went and did jujitsu and in our heads, you know, we've watched a lot of UFC, you know, we're, we're, we're excited to get on the mats. By the end of that class, I never wanted to stand on a mat ever fucking again. Like, 
I literally got tapped a hundred times and I threw up in the car park afterwards because I'd never pushed myself physically that far. Like I was like, Jesus Christ, like this is, this is not a joke. Like this is, this is in no way a joke. Like it, it really makes you, like you said, it makes you realize that there's people out there that, um, that really can do things to you that you, you can't even really conceive with your mind. And that's why, you know, it's, it's the classic thing that a lot of martial artists say to you and, and smart people will also say this to you is, you know, if you get into an altercation, if you can deal with it with words or walk away from it and just get away from the situation, you know, it's your best, that's your best defense is just walk away kind of thing. Because you never know, like, like you said, you, you walk up to someone and you're fighting a Stipe Miocic who looks like a, you know, a soccer dad who's here to like hang out with his daughter and like, you know, drink a big gulp, but really is the heavyweight champion of the world. You know, it's, it's, it's quite yeah. a, it, it's quite a weird situation in that. And I think personally, personally, I think for me, when I, when I grew up, obviously you can't force your kids to do anything. Um, but definitely at a younger age, I would look to try and put my kids into some sort of martial art class to give them some sort of discipline and, and, and humbleness and structure in their lives that definitely comes from that. We used to, um, where we have, where we had the gyms, we used to, um, this is obviously before you, Corey was in the UFC, but and he, actually yeah. even before she was, well, she wasn't even an adult, really, but there were um, these, uh, you know, uh, I don't know what you would call them, but guys that were, uh, you know, faces or names around town, and they used to turn up to the, the gym and wanted to just get involved in the sparring straight away, and you'd like, be like, look, look you, you need to, to learn some stuff first and, and get involved in the classes first and see how you get on and then and then once you're you know you you know you get more a bit more experience and you can get involved in the sparring and um and they'd be like well no you know i've had i've had so i've had loads of fights in the street you know i know what i'm doing i just want to have i just want to have a bit of a tear up and you're like okay so so we've got a 14 year old girl we know where this is going (laughs) 14 year old girl over there corey um she's about four foot eight or whatever at the time um have a quick roll around with her and just see how you get on and then let us know and then you you'd uh we'd put with Corey they'd she'd choke choke him out straight away and uh and they'd be very embarrassed and humbled and uh that type of stuff used to happen all the time and uh it is I, I agree with you I think a lot of people I think people should have to do it um and be yeah because it, it just makes people a lot nicer I think in in the world I agree. I'm, I'm just picturing, you know, the Corey, 14-year-old Corey, you know, little like little hobbit Corey. I'm picturing the scene in Star Wars where Yoda is like flipping around and just like, yeah. <laughs> like literally dominating exactly people. Exactly like that, yeah. <laughs> exactly. But let me, let's just talk about Corey because we, we spoke a little bit about Arnold and about your, um, your feeling that his stand-up is, you know, is up there, if not at the top, certainly right in the mix um, in his division. Um, and we've seen Arnold on the ground as well. He's pretty damn well-rounded. And, and, and you know, we're going to see more of this, this sort of hidden part of his game coming up soon. With regard to Corey, she is, dude, she is a paradox, right? She's little Corey. She's like cute. She's tiny. She does her drawing and stuff like this. And yeah. she's a savage, right? She, she'll, she's a savage. So what is it about Corey that like when you... Well, I guess maybe when you first saw her, when you've brought her up, and now that you're seeing her and her commitment over at Team Alpha Male, like away from her home and everything, what is it about her that you thought or you think is special? Um, she's just, uh, I mean, she just wants it. She wants it so much and she won't take no for an answer. You know, like um, she's asked, you know, when she was growing up, she was asking to fight and we were saying, we were saying no, you know, she She's only 15. Um, she's like, I want to fight now. Or well, we have to wait till you're 18. No, I want to fight now. Um, and stuff like that. And we ended up getting her fights at, um, yeah, when she was 15. And then she was fighting, at, you know, she wanted to fight the the IMF when she was amateur, when she wanted to fight the IMF world champ. On my, on my event, she was like, can you get me the world champ? And I tried. And we ended up getting a silver medalist and she beat the silver medalist. Um, and, you know, like we, she just wants it so much. She, uh, I'm not sure if she's told, told you, but she got straight 
straight A's or A stars in their GCSEs. Could have gone Oxford or Cambridge, um, but she she didn't. She gave it up for because uh, she wanted to pursue MMA as a career, um, and that's a, the level of dedication. You know, she could have. She she's super intelligent. She could have been anything she wanted to be, and she she wanted to be in the UFC. She wants to be the world champ. And I don't think she's going to stop till she gets it. She she uh, she's so driven. Um, she is uh, yeah. I'm I'm hundred percent sure she can do it. Amazing. You know, it it was funny when we were talking to her. She she kept saying she was just like, I am so determined. Like I am the most stubborn human being ever. She is. Um, and <laughs> a, a a little moment that I really loved, and me and Tom have actually talked about a good few times since the podcast because it, it makes us laugh every time we talk about it. Is she was like, you know, I don't care about money. You know, I don't feel the pressure. You know, I get into the ring and I'm happy. She's like, I just like punching people in the face and I like getting punched in the face. And that was and that was it. We were just like, that's hilarious. We love that you were like so game for it. And she didn't mention that she, she no, had she- straight A's. And that is awesome. Like that is the fact that, again, it's such a stereotypical, like a casual point of view on, on martial artists and, and especially cage fighters of, Oh, you know, you couldn't do anything else, or you, you grew up in a bad neighborhood, so you fight and then not you do it professionally, kind of thing. You know, it's it's a real testament that it doesn't matter who you are, like some of these people are incredible people who step in a cage and risk their lives for something that they just really enjoy. It's like, you know, playing an instrument or you know, painting a painting or you know, doing a trick on a skateboard. It's just something that they love doing. And like Stipe Miocic is a firefighter in his spare time, you know we all got shit we do and elsewhere. And I think that's such a testament to how awesome she is and what an amazing person she is. So thank, thanks for sharing that little bit and, of information. And, and when you, um, and when she says she, she like, that's, that's what she loves to do. Like a lot of fighters um, say that they love to be fighting, but they, they really don't. That, yeah. But she really, she genuinely does. Like it's, she genuinely loves it. She's so happy when she gets to fight. Um, yeah, she 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 skips to the cage, like a like a little schoolgirl skips to the cage, like with a big smile on her face, and um, yeah, it's hilarious. But she's got a big fan base because of it, because she's genuinely happy to be there, and I think um, I think it shows. Yeah. Um, and she's also like you said, what what makes her different to some of the others? She's probably one of the toughest human beings I know. Um, you know, obviously I've met a lot of tough tough guys in in the sport but she's up there with the toughest you know her um her last fight her UFC debut she she snapped her ankle and she she broke the bone and tore a ligament clean off um and you didn't even I didn't even know she did it until after the fight when she's hobbling out of the cage and in the fight you didn't even see it um and she, she's still She's, she's only, you know, that was back in November. She had surgery and stuff, and she's only back just about sort of walking sort of thing and running around. Um, so, yeah, she's, it was a bit, it was a serious injury. And, um, yeah, she she wouldn't show it until she's once, you know, she's got a hand raised. Yeah, I, t- I totally remember that. I remember <laughs> um, you saw just a little bit of it during the fight. You said, is, is there something going on? Don't know. And then after yeah. the fight, she even walked out just with a little tiny like limp. And then when she was being interviewed, she was like, yeah. I think the question was, when are you gonna fight again? And she's like, Well, as soon as as soon as like we can get someone lined up. And then she said, You know what though? This is starting to hurt a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, have to, we'll have to get this checked out. <laughs> little did we know that she had broken it and like, you know, ripped her ligament off as well. But yeah, that's uh that's awesome. I think man. the ligament's the worst, the worst bit of the injury, I think. A broken bone heals in it, but the ligament had to be you know, surgically reattached and stuff so yeah, I yeah. Think, and the other thing and that was really cool that she said um yeah. is that when you guys got to the apex um it yeah. was almost a feeling like this feels right like this feels yeah. comfortable and i think a lot of that so jack this is a tip, another sort of i think thing that you've done that's been incredibly you know valuable to your fighters is you give them a sense of of support 
of safety, of confidence for her to, to, to step on. Like we know, we know how, what that level is, right? Cause we have yeah. a different perspective and Corey, she's a young girl and she still knows what's going on. She's super, super smart, but to just come into that space and be like, yep, this is me. I'm cool. Is really rare is super rare. Right. And you were part of that, just making her feel, you know, this feels right, which is amazing. Yeah. But this is the thing, like this is years, like years and years of hard work. Um, and she, she, it's not, it's not like she, she deserves to be there. She does deserve to be there, but she's done all the hard work. She's, she's there because that's, that's her place to be. You know, she, that's where she belongs and she's proven it, proven it already. So, so yeah, it's not, it's not a big deal for, for her being there because she's earned it and, and put in the work. So it's just, and it's the same with Arnold. You feel, it just feels like a, just a, we're just showing up to the office to clock in because, because yeah. he put all, he's paid his dues. He's done, done all the hard work. Um, and this is where he, where he belongs. And I, and I feel yeah. like it's going to, it's going to feel like that. I feel, I think when he, win, when he wins the world championship, when he has that yeah. belt around his waist, obviously it's going to be an amazing feeling, but it's not going to be that big of a deal because he put the work in and he, you know, that's where he belongs. Mm. That's, you know that, that, that's sort of how I feel. Yeah. I love, I love that, Jack, because, you know, it, it, it's, and I, I would say I, I often notice this a lot more because I guess it's a much larger reaction um, is when, you know, someone does win a world title and they're on their knees, you know, crying and, you know, like, so don't get me wrong. The moment's going to be amazing and all of that, you know, it's going to be bigger than life. But at the end of the day, I love what you've just said, you know, it, in your mind and in Corey's and Arnold's minds, it's that you guys have been clocking in the time and that you're at the place where you're meant to be like this. I, I love that. It's like, it's not like we've been afforded an opportunity. And so we're one step ahead of where we should be, or even two or three steps ahead because we were given a chance. No, this is this isn't a chance. We know we were meant to be here. This is the time frame that we should have been here in, and yeah. we're here. So now we're going to keep moving forward. And when we get to the next place, we are meant to be there. It's not that anyone's given us anything or handed anything out for free, or or like like you said, you know, there's opportunities where Masvidal comes in on six days' notice to fight Kamara Usman for the title. You know, it's not one of those situations. This is no. where you know someone's fought for it. You know, that's it. And um, Corey, I mean Corey's um, debut. I mean the opponent they gave her for the the debut was uh, pretty. You know, probably couldn't have got a tougher an opponent. Probably couldn't have got a tougher opponent. And um, I don't think she's going to face someone someone tougher than that for for at least a little while now. Yeah, I agree. That um, you're talking about K. Yeah. Or the or yeah the, yeah so that yeah. yeah and there was okay, a lot. Yeah. I don't know if you remember, but there was a lot of buzz. It seemed like it's certainly around the announcing crew, um, they were giving a lot more buzz to Kay because Kay was, you know, she's from the US. Um, she had a pretty high level um, sort of ground game and yeah. they, they thought she matched up well with Corey. And, and to be fair, it was a really, it was a great fight. It was a great fight between two up and comers. And I don't, I reckon they're going to probably bump into each other again because they're both so young yeah. that it's, it's probably going to happen. Um, this, is, um, this is another thing about Corey, right? That wasn't the first, that wasn't the first offer the UFC gave us. Yeah. They gave us some some other opponents before that, and Corey Corey didn't like the, the fight because she thought it was it was too easy, and she she really liked the K fight because it was a it was a challenge and she wanted to announce her uh, announce her arrival and you know beating a being a, a credible opponent. Um, mm. And uh, and that's what she did. That's how that's how stubborn she is. She said no to these these other fighters because she wanted a tougher test. I was going to ask you about that a little bit, just from a manager's perspective. How how does that actually work? Is it is it a two way street where you're yeah. you know you're calling up you know Sean Shelby or whoever in the UFC or they're calling you up and they're saying what do you think about this person and you say you know in that example Corey says no I don't want this person I don't want that person just come back with someone else that's a little high like how does that actually what's that conversation look like Yeah, it depends on the fight and the fighter um, depends on on their situation as well you know so sometimes if if they if they're sort of desperate to fight and they haven't fought for a long time and they haven't really got any 
uh, yeah, they're, they're not holding the cards really. Then the UFC might just say this is the opponent, you know, take it or leave it. Is it a yes or no? And if you say no, they might make you make you sit out for six months, eight months until um, until someone someone else they need you to fight turns up. Um, mm. It really depends on your situation, really. I mean, Corey was riding high from the the win on Data White Contender Series. She was, um, you know, she's training at Alpha Male as well, who who are like a high profile gym. So I think there was a bit more of a, um, you know, they wanted they wanted to the, and um, flexibility in terms of the opponent in that situation. But sometimes it can be it can be different. Yeah, yeah. that's that's understandable. And do you know what? It's I must admit the one thing that you said there that I'm like, God, that's a little bit whack. That you know, you, like you said it it's that it varies from each person and that you're not getting consistency. I can imagine as a management team and stuff that sometimes that can be hard. If you know, the UFC are like, take this or don't take it. And then you're going to be out for six months. Like I can imagine dealing with an organization that is happy to do that because, you know, they're in a place where they have, you know, a roster of X hundred people, you know, that's got to be a, a pretty hard one to deal with as a manager. Yeah. And but, this is the thing they never, they never say to you, um, if you don't take this fight, we're going to make you sit on the bench for eight months. But that—that that is what they do. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, um, so you do have to, uh, yeah. And it's, it really depends on the fight. You know, that if the fighter isn't, isn't in the, you know, the fighter's never in the driving seat really, unless you're Conor McGregor. But, um, you know, if if you're not, if you're not a big name and, and it depends on the location where the fight is, if, you, if you're not a hometown fighter, it can be diff- difficult. So a lot of the time, you know, you have to take those opportunities when they come up because you don't know when they, they're next going to come up. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's a tough one. Super tough. Well, listen, we I, we could go on for a while with a bunch of different questions about a bunch of different things, but I know you've got uh, commitments in uh, in your Cage Warriors quarantine lockdown and what have you, but I do have one more question um, that uh, was delivered to us by someone that you know pretty well. And they asked us to ask you what you use to keep your head so shiny. <laughs> I know that's coming from Arnold. Right? <laughs> I'm not saying, man. I'm not saying. <laughs> Arnold threatened me. <laughs> I take that threat seriously. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> what was it? Uh, coconut oil. <laughs> coconut oil. Yeah. Nice one. <laughs> Amazing. Jack, uh, I mean, uh, we need to thank you for a couple different things. Um, we we sort of, I guess, bumped into you through trying to um, contact Arnold and Corey, and you were really, really professional, but also um, generous with your time in, in helping us um, put that together. And you've been generous again today with your time. So re- I guess just really, really thank you for um, for allowing those guys to, to be on a podcast that... Um, isn't you know a huge name podcast we really appreciate that man yeah no um the the phoenix mutual uh, thanks for giving them the t- no yeah of course um oh we're, you, you have just frozen i'm not sure if uh, if you can still hear us um but no we we we, we very much appreciate oh. um opportunity there did lose me yeah yeah you're, you're you're back now sorry go ahead yeah sorry because i'm on my phone i've got a phone call sorry that's right. Um, but yeah, I, re- I really appreciate you, uh, you having having those guys on and giving them a chance to to sort of air their uh, air their views and get their you know get people to to know their personality a bit better as well. And uh, really really appreciate you having me on as well. Thanks, man. Yeah, we, we've actually had a we've actually had a bunch of fans saying that uh, that they're now big big fans of uh, Corey McKenna's. I had a guy commenting on our, our our video of her yesterday saying that he huge fan now and things like that. So. Super glad that we could uh, we could get their names out there a little bit more. Um, Jack, yeah. quickly before you go, do feel free to shout out. You know, if you want to get your 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 um, management company out there, if you want to get your like Instagram or Corey or Arnold, like feel free to shout some stuff out, dude. That's important to you. That way, people know where to find you. Um, just ch- maybe maybe just check out the um, the the next uh, K Joys Academy show. So we've got a show on the the fourth of September. Uh, looking hopefully, you know, once the lockdowns um, lockdowns over, hopefully to do a, a big, you know, a, a big thank you to all the fans for supporting us and just trying to get these fighters active again. 
you know, and get the UK MMA scene back up and running because it's sort of taken a bit of a hit recently. Um, yeah. So yeah, just that's a big event coming up. This what I'm really working on over the next month, I think, just to work out, out the matches. Um, and Arnold is fighting in three weeks, so I'd love to get the, the UK behind him because, uh, yeah, we really want to show you, like, he, I feel like he's going to be our next world champ and um, just want to get everyone behind him. So uh, his Instagram is Arnold BFA. Arnold BFA, yeah. yeah. And uh, and boys, is, is he a badass as well as uh, as well as Corey McKenna? Um, Jack, thank you so so much. This has been Homie and the Dude. Um, we really really appreciate it. As always, guys, hit us with the Holy Trinity. That is like and follow the Facebook page. Um, then go over to our YouTube, subscribe to the YouTube channel, um, and then share any one of our podcasts on any of your social media. Uh, all of those allow us to continue doing this and uh, and help us out massively. Thank you all for watching, Jack. Thank you so so much, man. Thanks, Jack. Thank you, Chess. We're chugging through. We're loving doing this stuff, you guys. Um, if you want to support us, if you want to make sure that we can keep getting, you know, better quality set, better quality lights, make the filming better. Bigger, um, bigger batteries for the camera. Bigger batteries for the camera. <laughs> yes! <laughs> you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, you can do that by just liking, following the page, and subscribing to the YouTube channel. That is what really makes a difference to us.